Un, deux, trois. C'est... Ouh là là. I'm going to France on Thursday, so... Oh, right, yeah. I need to start practicing. <laughs> yes, yeah. French is like my default language. You know, if I think of a foreign language, it's like, oh, yeah, French. Well, it's That's... really funny because Sue and I, we, I mean, we were doing some work in Spain down in Barcelona for a few weeks. And, you know, we'd go there and somebody would say something to us and then we'd automatically respond in French because mm. that was our, you know, that's our foreign language. Yes. <laughs> Yes, that's that's the one that we learned at school. Um, I, I've been learning German. I've been trying to teach myself a bit of German because uh, I like I like going to Germany, and uh, it's actually really difficult to learn German to speak because you go to Germany and you try and speak to people in German, and they look at you and then speak at you in English. So actually, trying to have any kind of conversation is is quite difficult. No, so. <laughs> I know it can actually be so frustrating, but I I can sort of get by if I know the context of where we are and what somebody's likely to say to you you know i can kind of hold my own in a cafe or a restaurant or whatever but if you want to have a complex political discussion oh no no way i can't do that no i i can read french i can't really speak it and i can't i just can't understand it at all i actually find german easier to listen to you know i can understand what's being said a bit more um but i can, I can read and write french reasonably well i am so envious of people like you know, Mark Teeler and uh, Christian Heilman, mm. you know, I'm sure there's like a million Europeans out there going, yeah, but what about me? What about me? Because they can all speak different languages. And, oh, I mean, you know, it's, it's amazing. I mean, you, you go to, you go to conferences, don't you? And there's people who, you know, can speak really well three or four languages, um, you know, to be able to have a, a conversation in, in, in a load of languages. I, you know, I wish I could do that. Nah, me too. Me too. But I suppose that's part of our kind of British... I don't know what you call it, really. I was going to say arrogance or... I just how we kind of, you know... We, we can get away with it. We can get away with it, especially in our industry. You know, everybody speaks English. You go anywhere and English is like the common language, isn't it? You know, if you go to, I don't know, Poland or somewhere, there'll be a conference, there'll be people there speaking all sorts of European languages will be their first language. But they all speak English. So everyone speaks English. And so it's kind of easy for us. We can just turn up and carry on speaking English. Well, I think it was Oslo where I was a couple of years ago at, um, at a conference there. And, you know, they started off, it was launched by, I think it was, you know, some European, some Norwegian minister or another. Uh, and they conducted the introductions in Norwegian. And then all of a sudden the guy said, and now we'll correct, conduct the rest of the day in English. And boom. At that point, you know, all the speakers, including me, obviously, don't speak Norwegian, but, you know, it was all English. And you think, wow, and I'm actually in the capital of Norway and you're, you know, you're changing it to English, which is, you wouldn't find that if you had a conference in Scarborough, would you? <laughs> they wouldn't say, oh, well, we've got lots of French people here. We'll just do the day in French. <laughs> That's, can you imagine? It would be like a conference of people speaking GCSE level French. <laughs> Mind you, I've been to parts of North Yorkshire and they don't speak English up there anyway, so... <laughs> no, this is true. <laughs> <laughs> so I suppose what we should do is we should talk about the big news, the big exit, the big we are out, which of course is on everybody's minds, mm -hmm. which is that diabolical result against Iceland last night. Yes, well... <clears throat> I'm not really a football. I know. I saw on Twitter you were watching the football. I don't really watch football. I'm not. 
I'm not really into team sports and I'd sort of missed out on that I think um yeah I saw that was happening it it, it was quite good for kind of jokes I guess you know <laughs> yeah it was it wasn't good for football fans but now that I've lived in Wales for nearly 20 years and I am supporting Wales on this particular journey through the Euros. Um, I'm okay because, you know, Wales are still there. We've got Belgium on Friday and I'll be in France in a bar somewhere. Uh, yes, of course. I, I think it was quite cool. That what I did pick up from the Iceland thing is that they're a really small team. I mean, they're a tiny country, aren't they? And so it's kind of quite, I don't know, there's always that thing about the underdogs, isn't there? The people you wouldn't expect to do well, doing well is always quite nice. Well, apparently Iceland has the population of Leicester. Right. Well, not exactly the population of Leicester because it has the number of people that live in Leicester. <laughs> and most, I think most, are certainly a good deal of the Icelandic players play for, you know, lower league clubs. They're not... You know, they're not all kind of premiership players. Right, yeah. I mean, that was kind of what I'd picked up, which I think that's, that's kind of interesting when our players are, are, you know, sort of so highly paid and it seems to be a different kind of thing, doesn't it, really? I don't know. Um, I mean, the only sport I've ever, the only team sport I've ever really taken an interest in um, has been rugby union because I used to work for Newcastle like years back when I was a student. I worked at uh, in the restaurant there. Um, they were in Newcastle Gosforth at the time. So I kind of know a bit about rugby union um but not a huge amount it was just that that was the only sport i ever really saw happening well i can't play anything obviously because i'm rubbish and i've got <laughs> the coordination of an arthritic gazelle but i've never been into team sports you know i've always liked watching but mm. i've never been any good at it so uh no i'm not uh i'm not a footballer but i do like it and, and i suppose that you know well, I don't know what I think about the, the, the Euros at the moment. I mean, there's obviously bigger things on my mind, which is, uh, you know, I sat there not really watching the game last night. I was still doing some client work. I was still kind of, you know, mooching around the BBC and the Guardian website and checking up on what Nicola Sturgeon had been saying that day and all this kind of stuff. Mm. So to be honest, my mind wasn't completely on the game anyway. So that's the thing. Yeah. So I suppose what we need to do however many minutes 10 minutes into recording this is we're going to do a different sort of podcast today because i know that most people will follow me or you on twitter for web type stuff mm -hmm. i had a uh, i had a tweet from a guy today we might talk about this a little bit later but we had a tweet from a guy today saying you know i follow you because of your insights into design not because of your politics as if to say you know don't talk about politics on twitter yeah, I, I get this. I get people who get very upset because I use my Twitter account as my Twitter account and I speak about whatever I feel like talking about or, you know, or I, or I, I block people who are just being harassing and silly um, and or, you know, just like li linking me into enormous streams of app replies that don't have anything to do with me. And I'll just be, I'll be at a conference. I'll be like, oh yeah, I've, I'm just blocking all of this. I don't know what this is. Yeah. <laughs> and then they get really upset, you know, and I'm sort of like, well, this is actually my Twitter account. It's not public property, you know? Well, <laughs> and, yeah. And I, you know, and I, I do, I do like to share useful stuff. Um, but then I also like to say stupid things about Eurovision or, talk about the cat or <laughs> or just chat to my friends you know it, it's still that well i've been particularly vocal and i know that i've upset some people 
um, in the last week with my kind of outbursts about the whole Brexit referendum and about mm. people who voted leave and about all this kind of stuff and what's happened since last Friday morning when the, the vote was announced. And that's okay, I think. It's my Twitter account if you choose to mute me um, when I'm in a rant about politics or or weeing in hotel kettles. I don't care. You can do that. <laughs> this is my podcast. So today... You, me, Rachel, we're going to talk about the Brexit thing. And if for any reason you're not interested in politics at all or you're from outside the UK and you think this is going to be bewildering and not for you, I'm not going to resent you turning off right now. Go and listen to the, the talk show or shop talk or something where you might learn a little bit of PHP. That's fine. I'm not going to get upset if you... Uh, if, if you don't want to listen to this. Likewise, if you are somebody that voted leave for whatever reason and you think that you might get offended by um, my, in particular, very strong opinions on what's happened and what it means for us as a country, then by all means, go and put cotton wool in your ears or choose not to listen. But this is my hour and I'm going to say what I think about it. And I'm going to say what I think about possibly what people um, have done and people who have voted leave and all this kind of stuff. And I'm not going to hold back. You know, I might watch my language occasionally, but um, it's very, very rare. I mean, it sounds strange coming for me because everybody thinks, oh, Andy rants about everything. But actually, this is very rare that I just literally open up about how I'm feeling about something. And this is one of those occasions where I think that it is so important that actually we do talk about this and we do talk about what happened. and We do talk about the consequences of what this is going to mean for us as a country, as individuals, as in terms of our businesses, um, mm. and you know, and our lives going forward, and our children and grandchildren and everything else. I think it's so monumental, mm. a fuck up that we are going to talk about it. And it's not about you know being impolite or saying, well, you know, you've got to respect people that have got different opinions, or you know, it's a time for us all to pull together, or any of that kind of liberal bollocks. This is like such a monumental fuck up in my mind that I'm going to actually talk about it. Um, and I don't care if you agree with me or whether you don't agree with me um, or whether you want to listen or you do want to listen. But if you're still here at the end of 90 minutes, then, uh, well, I'll be surprised. But anyway, there we go. So, well, yeah, well, the thing, the thing is, I mean, whether or not you want to stay in the EU or you didn't want to stay in the EU or... There's, there could be no denying that the current situation is suboptimal <laughs> by a long way, um, you know, and, and in terms of businesses and in terms of, you know, businesses right from tiny businesses like ours right through to huge businesses, this is not a good time. Um, now, it if you are a leave person and still believe that things will get better when it gets sorted out, well, great. Um, you know, I, that that's that's fine, but I think that, there are things to discuss and, you know, that aren't great now, whatever your real views are. You know, things are not good at the moment. Well, let's say that we could break this conversation down into several parts. Mm -hmm. Let's say that we could well, – I mean, I don't think it's worth going over the, you know, well, should we or shouldn't we have, have – you know, left. We should have been doing a podcast about this during the referendum. And maybe yeah. it's my fault for, you know, maybe it's not my fault completely. Um, but, you know, maybe I'm partly to blame for not having a conversation about this on the podcast during the whole campaign and, and, and 
and actually whether it's on the podcast or not, you know, talking to my friends and my family and encouraging them to, to do the right thing in my view. Um, so I don't think there's any point in kind of raking over the issues, no, no. but I do think that we could talk about, um, how it's making us feel actually, because I think that I haven't felt this way in a long time. And I've not been feeling great this past year anyway, you know, I've, I've been, I've been struggling with, with life and, this is one of those kind of things where, you know, maybe I'm taking it too personally, but, you know, I'm really affected by this, you know, in ways that I didn't think I would be, you know, since John Lennon died. So we could talk about that. Mm-hmm. I think we should talk about um, potentially some of the fallout uh, that's happening because, you know, we, I think we've seen some terrible stuff over the last few days. Mm-hmm. Yes. And potentially even the, the, the fact that, you know, there is a certain amount to blame here because politicians did not have a plan B. They don't seem to have actually allowed for this result no. <laughs> and have any kind of like, well, this is what we're going to do next. There is this, apart from those lucky folks that are in Scotland, um, there is this huge political vacuum at the moment, which, of course, is doing nobody any good. Right. And then, you know, also, then we should talk about what we're going to do and our businesses and how it's going to affect us and that kind of stuff. So, I don't know, where do you want to start? <laughs> well, um, I mean, I, th- I think that one of the, the big issues, and, it, and that kind of goes back to the fact that bafflingly, it seems like nobody in government thought that actually it would be a leave vote. Um, you know, I think all this, the, the instability and the fact that we actually don't know, we don't know what the effects are going to be at the moment. Um, we can kind of guess, you know, in terms of things that, that matter to, say, businesses like ours, so small businesses, people with digital businesses and selling digital products and so on, there's some things we can kind of guess at, but we don't really have any, any sort of real knowledge as to what's going to happen over the next, say, couple of years. Um, and that leaves people, I think, in the worst state because, you know, I've had so many emails from people around the sort of VAT issues and things because people dig my name up and, and ask me questions about it, um, which I can't really answer. I mean, you know, I'm not an accountant anyway, but, you know, I can't even give a kind of vague answer because I don't know. I mean, I really don't know what the situation is. No one does. Well, as regards this kind of political vacuum, I mean, I, I, well, first, first of all, I think we'll just get out of the way. First of all, I don't think that, well, in fact, I know that this referendum result is not legally binding. It is as legally binding as a poll daddy poll. Yes, it's advisory. It's an it? advisory. So, yeah. um, and of course, um, the dear Nigel Farage did say only a few months ago that a 52-48 vote would just be unfinished business. Uh, of course, he said that when he thought that it was going to, uh, they were going to lose. Mm. And of course, now that they've won, they've particularly forgotten, you know, that kind of thing. All so, right, along with all sorts of other things, yeah. <laughs> so in terms of the the... In terms of the actual validity of this and where it's left us, I mean, they've always, somebody's thrown this huge kind of constitutional hand grenade mm. into the middle of our country. And now there's nobody there that wants to or seems capable of kind of picking up the pieces. Yeah, so, I, yeah I don't understand why Cameron resigned. I don't really like Cameron. I never voted for the man, but... I, I think that if you were to line up all of the potential kind of prime ministerial candidates, just forget mm. about party politics and say, mm. which man would you think you wanted to lead this country? 
you know, up until the resignation, I would have probably have said, you know, to be honest, even as a lifelong Labour voter, I would vote for David Cameron because he's the most statesmanlike. He might be mm. a smug and smarmy bastard, but that's who I would have, you know, I'd have chosen as somebody that is actually, you know, a decent leader. So obviously, you know, he's just gone and said, right, well, I'm, I'm not going to be the guy. I didn't agree. You know, obviously I didn't agree with this. I'm not going to be the guy that actually pushes the button and invokes article 50 of the Lisbon treaty. I'm going to leave that for my, my um, successor, which I can completely understand, but it leaves this incredible vacuum, which not only is nobody filling, but nobody's filling with an actual plan or a strategy. It's almost as if like they're playing this game of chicken, Mm. where at some point somebody is going to have to push the button. And who that person is, well, they're not visible at the moment unless you, you know, and I'm, where the hell has Boris Johnson disappeared to? I mean, you know. Yeah, <sighs> yeah it, it's the whole, the whole thing is baffling. It's like surely they didn't, they must have just sat there at some point and thought, well, what, what will we do if what will we do if it doesn't go the way we think it's going to go? Well, I mean, maybe in terms of political manoeuvring, the Leave campaign and, you know, maybe they had political aspirations and beyond the, the referendum hmm. and thought, well, OK, we are going to put David Cameron in an impossible situation where if we do win this and he has to stay, he has to be the guy that says that he abides by the referendum result and invokes Article 50, there's obviously then going to be this huge, huge tidal wave of issues, which mm. we know are about to engulf the country. And they thought that he could just maybe take the fall for it. And two years down the line, when, or when there's a general election, somebody new can take over and they don't have to swallow the shit that he's had to swallow. Mm. And I quite imagine that that's how this thing kind of politically mm. played out. Point being... There are all of these issues which all of a sudden people have to face. You know, what is the situation with the Scottish Parliament and um, their potential, I wouldn't say veto, but their potential, the necessity in the constitution of the Scottish Parliament for them to actually have to um, ratify or agree to this material change? Mm. What about that? What about the, the issue of um, you know, the border between Northern and Southern Ireland? Mm. Um, what about the fact that you've got, um, you know, 40 years worth of, 35 years worth of um, EU law that's now embedded within our, in our, you know, our, our own statutes mm. that somehow has to be unpicked? And that's even without the negotiations with the Americans or with the European Union about potential trade and everything else, that all of which is supposed to happen within two years of them invoking in Article 50. And... Mm. Nothing. Crickets. Meanwhile, you know, obviously everything's going to shit. Yeah, we so yesterday we, we were we looked at in the morning we were saying, Oh, you know, with the pound becoming so weak, um, because we for selling perch, we set our euro and dollar prices. They're kind of linked to GVP, but what we don't want to do is people to, you know, be quoting for a job and look at the site and say, Oh, it's so many dollars and then come back the next day and it's changed. So we actually fixed the prices, but based roughly on, so that we get, you know, around 50 quid GVP for a copy of Perch. Um, anyway, we're looking at it and we're watching the pound tumble and we're suddenly realising that actually what Americans, you know, would be paying us was far more than that because 
the pound was becoming so weak. And so we adjusted all of our prices. And we were actually watching it drop so much, we're thinking, oh, are we going to need to do it again? Yeah. You know, <laughs> like in the, over the course of a day. Um, you know, and I mean, that's, you know, it's great for our uh, US customers. They're now, you know, getting perch and runaway a lot cheaper. But it was like, I mean, to see that happening, I mean, you know, we watch currency fluctuations all the time because, you know, we, we work internationally. But to see it happening like that, that quickly was was quite amazing. I think whichever way the vote had gone, it was always going to be some kind of fluctuation in the markets or mm. some kind of political fallout one way or the other. Um, but I don't think that anybody um, particularly, um, no, I did not, not just even about expecting this kind of result. It's, I tell you what baffles me. This, this is what baffles me. Whatever your opinion on certain kind of, I'll call them individual topics, whether you think that you know the EU is a you know the unfathomable bureaucracy, or whether you think that there should be um, greater controls on immigration, perhaps um, outside of you know freedom of movement in Europe. So we're talking about you know people that are coming from outside, you know North Africa, the Middle East, etc. Whether or not you think that you know that's a good idea, or because that's got nothing to do with the EU, absolutely mm. nothing to do with the EU no. whatsoever. Or if, as one of my friends told me yesterday, that they'd voted to leave because it was some, some, some um, proposed EU-American um, trade uh, negotiation that was happening, which would allow um, a much greater influx of GM crops into Europe. Mm -hmm. That was the issue that they voted leave for, because they didn't agree on mm. this particular kind of trade negotiation. Well, Fuck me. Did you not expect all of this other shit? Did you not consider all of this other shit, which is obviously happening to our economy at the greater scale? It's threatening potentially peace in Northern Ireland. It's triggering potentially another Scottish independence referendum. It's producing, you know, bigotry and magnifying hate on the streets in Manchester today. All this kind of stuff. Did you not think about that? Well, I think, you know what, what it is? I, I think that it was... It, it was pitched to people as this kind of in or out, yes or no vote, but nowhere was really the implications explained. And I think had we had, I was, you know, talking to Drew about this, you know, as, as the votes were coming, we were saying what there should have been would be it was an absolute ban on campaigning. And instead, we could have had, you know, a, a couple of sort of you know, feature-length broadcast type things on, on the BBC, which is uh, supposed to be an independent broadcaster, you know, one pro, one against, just outlining the likely things that might occur, you know, if we stay and the, the problems that perhaps there are by being part of the EU and the benefits just laid out. Because, you know, there obviously are negative things. You know, there are things like when you join any organisation, you have to assign, say, well, okay, there are some things we're going to have to give as well as some things that we take. And, then there should have been, a, you know, a broadcast explaining what would happen if we leave, what the implications were, what what possibly could happen, um, but in in language that wasn't inflammatory, in language that wasn't trying to whip people up over one issue or another, because people couldn't. Yeah, how how could you make a balanced judgment? You know, in the face of people saying, "Oh, it's all about immigration," or "It's, you know, all about this or all about that." I think. It's very difficult to make a balanced judgment when that's been thrown at you. I mean, we could all point to, there was a thing I saw somebody tweet yesterday or the day before about Daily Mail readers. And there'd been some article in the Daily Mail of all places about how Brexit was going to affect people's holiday money. 
And then the comments were like, oh my God, I didn't realise this. If I'd have known about that, then I would have voted stay. And it's well, like, that's, that's it. People weren't you given... idiot. Yeah, but people weren't given the information. And I think, you know, people shouldn't have to worry about this stuff because this is why we have politicians. We should The have. item is that these damn people learn about the stuff and make good decisions for us as the country. You know, hopefully with some advice from experts and, you know, people who understand economics or, or whatever it is. Um, and that's why we have politicians. I don't know why this went to a public vote. Um, and, and, you know, the fact that it did go to a public vote, it should have gone to a public vote without all of this stupid campaigning, which just led people astray and kind of led people to believe things that weren't even true. You know, people who, uh, I saw someone tweeting saying they'd spoken to, and their mother was in, is in like a nursing home, whatever, and, and her friends, a lot of them had voted. They, were, they basically thought they were voting for immigrants to leave the UK. You know, <laughs> it's like, what? If people didn't know what they were voting for, I think, in some cases. I mean, I've been caricaturing um, leave voters as, you know, morons and idiots and worse on Twitter this week, um, you know, and ignorant and bigoted and whatever else. And, I'm, you know, I know that however many millions of people and I'm sure that there are people, you know, my friends that are saying nothing at the moment or, you know, people that we know in our circles that would have made what they think is an educated, um, educated guess or an educated decision about whether to, or not to be in or out. But it was for everybody, whether you think it was kind of in or out, a guess because yeah. there was no information about what would happen if we came out. And something that Nicola Sturgeon said when she was talking about um, – the Scottish position recently. And she was saying, this is, if we do ever have a referendum in Scotland for, uh, for independence again, it's not the same situation as it was in 2014 because the, we, have, we would be staying and opting for stability and not mm. opting for change, which is what the no vote in Scotland was playing on in 2014. Yes. Yeah. Now, this is exactly the same thing for us. So unless you're sure, unless you have the answers, which people couldn't possibly have, then mm. the safest thing, unless you are just making a protest vote, is to vote stay. And I can't imagine that all of the people that, you know, that are in our circle that might have voted leave um, or however many other millions of people, they can't all be racist bigots. No, no, I don't think they are. And I think there's a lot of people are probably absolutely horrified that you know, the things that have been done sort of in the name of, of that campaign. Because as I say, I think people people probably voted leave for all sorts. I mean, you know, you, you mentioned someone who had a particular concern about a certain issue. And, you know, people get very, um, you know, they're very keen on, on very specific things. But, I mean, yeah, I, I, I just think that if, if this was kind of like a trial – You'd be like looking for a new jury at the moment. You could do a retrial, wouldn't you? Because you say, well, the, the evidence given to people was just wrong, um, was misleading, was incomplete. And you're asking them to vote. It know, would be say. a hung jury. Yeah. I mean, it'd just be. Yeah. So the and it's that, that's what I feel it, you know, needs to be said. It's, it's not. It's not about democracy or not, or, or you know, or this should be a democratic thing. Well, it's not democracy if people aren't given the, the full information before they make their vote. I think that that's absolutely right. And also, you know, we go back to this thing not being legally binding. Well, okay, it was less than a 4% difference between leave and remain, which, you know, there could or there should have been. 
in the rules of the referendum, something that said, okay, well, you know, there needs to be a buffer. There needs to be a 10% difference. This is common. That's common in plenty of other referendums. Yeah. And also, and I, again, I'll, I'll try and dig it up on Twitter and, uh, and, and, and post the link again, but there was plenty of precedent in plenty of countries where referendum have been ignored or mm. where they've gone to a second ballot over a specific topic. There is no reason why that cannot happen here. There isn't, you know, we're not on this train towards leaving at the moment. Yeah, I mean, there's, what what surprised me was how quickly um, the sort of EU started to say, well, you're out then, sort of thing, based on the vote. Well, you see, I can kind of understand that for several reasons. One, they have to be sending a clear message to other member states. Yes, I know that there's other there's other places, aren't there, who that might follow suit. Well, you know, let's face it. I mean, the EU is not a perfect institution, oh, no. and there will be people in France or Germany or the Netherlands or wherever it may be who or other countries around the EU that might be thinking, well, hang on a minute, you know, we need to get a better deal out of the EU. Now, let's not forget that the UK currently has the best deal in the entire EU. Mm. We get plenty of rebates. We only pay, you know, a £190 million contribution a week, not the 350 that Boris Johnson put on his bus. Mm -hmm. We have access to the single market. Um, we're able to, you know, we have all the benefits of, of that, but we still manage, you know, we manage our own fiscal affairs. We have our own currency. We have our own border controls. We're not inside the Schengen arrangement. Mm -hmm. So the UK has the best deal in the European Union at the moment. Mm -hmm. Now, if the, Europe, if the European Union sends a signal that say, okay, well, do you know what? After this vote, we're going to negotiate a little bit. Maybe you can stay if we give some concessions. That's going to open the door to any other country with a grievance to say, or maybe not even with a grievance, but you know, with a demand to say, actually, you know, we think we're entitled to the same deal. So mm. the EU is likely to, going to say, well, okay, if, if that's it, you voted, you're gone, and yeah. and, and in in favour, you know, of everybody else, um, because you know we need to maintain stability in every in in the economy. You know, you get out quick. Mm. Yeah, I. Yeah, it, it's it's a hot mess. I, I yeah, I, I was so surprised that it that it went to leave. I thought that enough people would 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 sort of just see enough of the potential outcomes. Um, but yeah, I mean, you know, the the the, the campaign, the sort of leave campaign, was run on a basis of whipping people's emotions up, um, which is never really the the good state a good state to be making any kind of decisions um and yeah you know it isn't legally binding they don't have to do it a brave politician i mean this is this is if i was jeremy corbyn um or actually the liberal democrats have done this but they haven't done it mm. nobody listens to the lib debs anymore <laughs> but you know if i was a, a a strategic politician i'd be i'd be standing up as nicola sturgeon no doubt is but you know in her own country is basically saying do you know what no this vote is too close to call. The potential damage and uncertainty is now become unveiled. I'm going to, you know, work on a platform of not um, invoking Article 50. And we're not going to do this. We're not going to run headlong towards exit. Um, and what we're going to do is we're going to try to find some other path to take. Mm. 
that would be the sensible option for a you know for a strategic politician. But you don't hear anybody except Richard Branson, actually, who I read an article for yesterday, um, saying anything about that. It's almost as if, well, you know, the British people have made their decision and we have to abide by it, which, of course, they don't. Hmm. And 48% of the British people did not. Yeah. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's... But, yeah, I think there's, I mean... If we sort of talk about the effect on on like businesses like ours, um, which I think a lot of people are wondering what what sort of is going to happen because you know we, we've um, we've spoken before about things like the Vatmos stuff. Um, people uh, think about the cookie law. Um, you know, there's lots of things that have come from the EU, which I think people now are a little bit confused as to kind of what what's going to happen with that stuff. Um, or how that still affects us, um, well. and and that's probably I think something that generally listeners to this podcast would probably want to know a bit about, or okay. at least um, you're editing me. But that's okay. I am editing you. <laughs> okay, well that's okay because I've been thinking long and hard about what this means for my little business. Mm. Well, I think a lot of people have, which is why I'd like to talk about it because okay. I think I think that you know people would think about you know what are we thinking about here right. and and, and uh, um, certainly the emails I, and tweets and things I've had have been along those lines all right so we'll put a little link in the show notes to say if you want to skip Andy's ranting about leave voters then you can move to minute 35 or whatever <laughs> um, okay so who's gonna go first you gonna go first or am I gonna go first well I it's just I, Tell you what, as soon as the leave thing was announced, right, I started getting people tweeting at me and emailing and things and saying, oh, does that mean the end of Vatmos? Because obviously I was the person who ended up being Vat Girl and talking about the Vatmos thing. So I've heard from a lot of people about that. And I think there is some confusion there um, that no, no, it probably means it all gets worse. Um, that's not the, I think some people sort of clung onto that as being like, oh, this is, this is the one good thing we get rid of Atmos. Um, but of course we don't. No. Um, and it seems like the most, I mean, obviously again, we don't know exactly how long this will take and what have you, but the thing with Vatmos is that everyone is supposed to comply with it, whether you're in an EU country or not in an EU country. Um, and if you're not in an EU country, then what you're supposed to do is register with the the MOS portal in some EU country as a non-resident business. Let's so wind back just a little bit yeah. to people that maybe haven't been following the whole VATMOS thing over the last couple of years, um, if you don't mind. Yeah. And I'm going to try and explain the VATMOS thing, and then you can just tell me that I've done it wrong. And then you can <laughs> okay. probably, but as far as I'm aware... I mean, we are, as a business, we are VAT registered. So that means that we um, we charge our clients VAT wherever they happen to be. Um, and obviously within the European Union, there is the whole kind of reciprocal VAT thing. So, you know, that makes it a lot easier to trade within Europe. But there's a difference between us selling our services to another European country and us and you selling a digital product mm -hmm. because not everybody has to be registered for VAT, but everybody has to pay charge VAT on a digital product. Yeah. And, and that includes things like eBooks as well and video courses and things like that. Well, that's where my issue comes in, in terms of, you know, books and video courses, which is something that we're going to be doing. And 
obviously software sales and things like that. Now, at the moment, instead of me having to register and deal with the VAT offices in 27 European countries, mm-hmm. because, and this is how it came about, instead of just charging VAT at the rate of the country where the service is sent from, Mm-hmm. You have to charge VAT at the rate of the country where the customer is. So you have to yeah. record where the customer is in Lithuania or wherever they may be mm-hmm. and charge VAT at the Lithuanian rate. Not That's at the right. It, it's, rate. A pl- it's a place of supply thing. So it's basically saying that, well, the the customer who is using this this product so they're reading this ebook or whatever is in germany therefore vat should be charged at their rate and it was really to get around um companies like amazon say um incorporating their business in somewhere with a low vat rate say a 15 percent rate therefore making all their products cheaper for when they sell them say to the uk because by changing the place of supply they're saying well it doesn't matter if you're in luxembourg um if someone in the uk buys this product they have to pay uk vat and then the vat is actually given to the uk because that's where the person is um and that that is why the vat moss system because if we didn't have this sort of the moss is mini one-stop shop and that's so that's where vat moss came from um and every country has their own mini one-stop shop the idea is you go there every quarter and you enter in via a dreadful form um how much you have taken in in VAT from all these different EU countries, and then you pay that, and then the mini one-stop shop distributes it to all the countries so that I don't have to do a VAT return for every European country that I sell a copy of Perch to. Um, So that's all good. It's annoying, and it involved a lot of work, but that's all kind of working now, and we're all doing that. Um, But if we leave the EU, then... This whole mini one-stop shop situation probably won't apply to us because we'll not be in the EU, and therefore people like me will have to register with another EU country in order to benefit from their mini one-stop shop, which will also mean I'll have to account in euros rather than pounds for my VATMOS. <laughs> so it kind of gets worse rather than better. And we would be denied access to the Moss portal. Because we wouldn't be inside the European Union. And that's the thing which makes it manageable at the moment, rather than having to register in 27 different countries. Yeah, I mean, say so we might be able to register with somebody else's, but then that would mean, like an American can at the moment, but that then would mean we'd have to be accounting in euros yeah. um, to be able to do that, because we're the only people who account in GBP, obviously. Um, so that would be an issue. The other issue, and, and this applies to lots of things, not just the VAT thing, we lose the ability to have any impact on European laws if we're not in the EU. And as digital businesses, we probably want to trade with the EU. So we're still going to have to, um, you know, things like the cookie laws or VAT or anything else. Data protection. Yeah, data protection, storage requirements for stuff. If we want to trade with EU countries, we're still going to have to comply with that stuff. But we're not going to have any say. We're not going to have any way of negotiating anymore. And and this, I mean, you know, the the VAT Action Group in the UK were trying to negotiate a higher threshold for the VAT Moss thing, so that really small businesses didn't have to pay the European VAT. Um, and I think that was something that was probably going to happen. And with an exit, that isn't going to happen because other EU countries don't have the threshold we have already. 
Um, and so they're not they're not into that basically. I mean, I cannot imagine that anybody that wasn't in you know wasn't a VAT expert would really have thought this through. I mean, you know, the people that are leave voting friends who, you know, run digital businesses would not have considered that particular issue. Um, because it's, you know, one issue in a million issues. Well, yeah, well, that's, that's, and this is the thing, that this is this little window onto it that I, I know about. But there's, like, thousands of other things that are going to be exactly as complex that we know nothing about. Um, well, you know... The the same thing I think happens with um, you know we, at the moment we have European data protection laws. Mm-hmm. Um, when those laws no longer apply, well, first of all, if if after exit they just do you know what we're just going to go with the European laws. Well, what was the point in exit for one thing? But then of course you know what we're in danger of is then having to suffer what a Tory government's idea of what data protection laws should be. I mean, we've already had to suffer what their surveillance laws. Well, exactly. Are. I mean, if 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 Theresa May um, becomes the next prime minister, which I think there is a reasonable likelihood that she could, um, she has you know really quite hardline views on things like surveillance and so on. Um, you know, not views that I'd be very happy with being in, in a country that had. Um, so, you know, I mean, I think, yeah, we, and even if even if we say as a country, oh, yes, we're just going to keep these laws pretty much the same, tracking the, the EU laws, they'll be pretty much the same. What will happen over time, of course, is they will become different. So we'll kind of have these similar but different laws and, and people are going to have to be thinking, well, I need, to, well, what do we have to do for the UK and what happens in Europe and also, you know, what happens in America if you want to sell there and, it just becomes more and more complex. For us as people that work on the web and we produce digital products of one form or another, I mean, if you can count my book as a digital product, um, then, you know, we are part of a global economy. And it is it just feels to me as like it's the complete antithesis of that. You know, people looking kind of inwards. Mm, and um, frag- fragmenting more rather than coming together more. Because that doesn't mean to say that if, you, if, we, ha- if we want to trade with Europe that, um, you know, we can just stick to our own cookie laws or we can just stick to our own data protection laws or you can provide, let's say, substandard software services or whatever it may be. So they go, oh, that's okay. We don't have to work to European laws anymore because if we want to sell into the European market or, or the Australian market or the Japanese market, or the American market, you have to conform to their regulations. It's just part of business. Mm. The other thing yeah. which is, which I think affects businesses like yours and mine is freedom of movement. Mm. Yeah, very much so. Now, I don't want to get into the whole kind of, you know, immigrants coming over here and taking our jobs thing. But, you know, immigrants generally coming over here and doing our jobs is, the, <laughs> is how I always think about it. And not only is it going to affect me because it's going to make it harder for me to hire people and bring people in for projects. And I can imagine it's the same for everybody. You know, if you want to hire a developer from somewhere else in the European Union, at the moment, they can just get on a bus. Yeah. And they can come here, they can work with you in Bristol, they can come up to North Wales, they can drink tea with me and we can work on some stuff and then they can go home in exactly the same way as somebody coming from Scarborough. Yeah, or, or, or likewise, I mean, you know, if, if we want to go and say, you know, both of us do workshops and things, we can go and do a workshop for money somewhere else in the in the EU, and that's fine. 
We can't do that in, say, America. No. Without getting all sorts of visas and all kinds of things, it, it takes a long time, and the amount of hassle it would be to do that actually probably would make it not worth not worthwhile as doing it. So, you know, in terms of people being able to go and, yeah, you know, take some interesting information to a country elsewhere near you, at the moment we can just do that. Well, it's not just about the workshops, you know, it's, but it's about actually going there for contracts. You know, I've got mm. some friends that, yeah. um, you know, her husband is a business consultant, spends, you know, three or four days a week in Europe, travels around doing his consulting thing. Mm. Um, and of course, doesn't have to worry about borders, doesn't have to worry about anything. And it's not about, you know, people coming here and taking our jobs. He's going over there to do a job in a European country. Um, and nobody seemed to remember this kind of balance. So, you know, it makes it more difficult for me and you to be able to say, do you know what, I'm going to go and take that job for six months in Paris or Berlin or mm. Munich without yeah. having to get work visas or, you know, or work permits or any of this kind of stuff. That's it. And, uh, you know, and, and I feel so sad for, for younger people that, that that opportunity is potentially taken away. You know, we, we've both got, you know, our, our, our kids aren't, that far apart in age um you know we both got children who are just sort of taking their first steps really out into the world you know they're young people who are who both of them potentially are you know are going to want to get jobs elsewhere in the world well alex um, is halfway through a phd right now and he mm -hmm. said to me the other day that virtually everybody else in his department at royal holloway um is, is they've come from somewhere else Mm. Yeah, they've done, uh, many, many of them are from Europe. Many of them, including Alex, are working for professors who are doing projects that, I mean, his particular supervisor is, I think she's Italian, um, mm -hmm. has come to, has come to a, a British university bringing a research project with her mm -hmm. that is backed by European money, as so many of them are. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. So, yeah. so many, so much of kind of our um, university uh, research positions Mm. are funded by the the EU. We we have a building, the building that Stuff and Nonsense is in right now uh, in St. Asaph is part of Glyndur University. Mm -hmm. And that building is geared up, not for crusty old fossils like me, it's geared up to have, you know, startups, people launching businesses straight out of university, but it's also mm -hmm. there for PhD research in optics. Mm. The building runs on EU money. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I've I've heard that from many places. You know, people who are you know working in 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 academia in some level, that you know that there there are you know PhD placements that have just gone because they can't know they'll be able to fund them because the money came from the EU. Um, I mean, all oh, that that's that's terrible. You know, it's like, but of course, again, it's one of these little windows that a lot of people would not I mean, would not have been aware of. I mean, I wouldn't have probably put that together because I'm not involved in that kind of academia. So I wouldn't have, you know, obviously if someone had started prompting me, I thought, oh, yes, well, a lot of that stuff is EU funded. Yeah, you know, but I think that's the problem is there's so many of these complex things that that it was just wrong for people to be asked to vote on this because we don't understand it. You know, even those of us who are pretty good at reading complicated documentation, you know, I I read that information i you know i i read w3c specs i i read documents you know i'm quite good at understanding them and yet i only understand a minuscule amount of what it means for us to leave the eu um and i think i'm probably someone who reads more of this stuff than most people mm. um and so and i couldn't say 
some of the effects that I've already sort of seen and heard people talking about, I had no idea would would happen, you know. You mentioned sort of a, a kind of contract or, you know, almost like a confidence issue as well. The, mm. the fact is, I mean, you know, a lot of our business is with clients in the EU and not so much recently, but certainly in the past, I've worked with some really nice big European organizations, um, some in Switzerland, which kind of doesn't count as the EU, obviously, mm. um, but some most definitely part of the European Union. And you know, how many clients say to a web agency or to a developer of company, um, of course, we're not looking for you just to do this one job. We're looking for a long-term relationship. Mm. And we've worked with some of our clients for many, many years. Yeah. Well, when it comes to a pitch, if indeed we get asked to pitch on European jobs anymore, there's always this kind of nagging doubt in the back of their minds, perhaps, that actually, you know, dealing with us is going to be more complicated mm. somehow. Because well, yes, because we don't really know what – at the moment, we just don't know what the situation is going to be. You know, it may be that things get put into place that makes it perfectly possible for us to carry on pretty much as we are in terms of being able to go and work in, in different countries. But we don't know. We have no idea. And that's one of the most dangerous things at the moment. I mean, it's already been a tough year for us for business. I think mm. I've mentioned this before. Um, and I don't think that this is going to make it any easier. Um, no. Whether or not clients are European or not, I think that at the moment, you know, with the economy, um, you know, very shaky before even this, and obviously, you know, markets are in free fall. Mm. at the moment is that you know if if i'm certainly thinking about um tightening my belt um and i imagine that a lot of other clients in the uk are thinking about a similar thing it's like you know what we're not gonna we're not gonna make that higher this month Mm. you know we're not going to invest in that new bit of ux uh or we're going to put that product on hold because of the uncertainty well also i mean i i know of many many people who are you know founding startups that that kind of sort of business but the sort of businesses that actually still um do get people to do design work and development work and so on you know they, they make jobs you know that a, a startup who needs to get their product out there quickly they make jobs and, and a lot of the time they're using um contractors and things as well you know to, to get stuff going um those people aren't going to be starting up in the uk i mean that would be the craziest place to start because you're sort of isolating yourself in this one market really well hsbc have already been rumored to be moving a thousand euro jobs euro related jobs to paris of course um, and yeah. i imagine silicon roundabout will not be the the, the place that it once was no as no, a focus safe. for you know digital businesses well because if if you're here then you run the risk of not being able to hire from a wider market which you know cause at, at the moment you know you could you say you've got your pick of people who live and work in Europe and there's lots of really great developers and, and people all over Europe. Whereas if you're saying, oh, well, the only people you can hire easily are those within the UK, that's really narrowing the pool because it's hard to find good people anyway. Yeah. And so why stay here? Why well, not go to Dublin or Berlin or go to the States for that matter? Well, here's the next question then, which is what the hell are we going to do? And obviously nobody knows how this is going to play out, but I have a very, very bad feeling yes. about this. And, I'm, and I know that I'm probably not exactly on 
tip-top mental form when it comes to feeling good about life anyway at the moment. But I do have this kind of impending feeling of doom. Mm -hmm. So what we've decided to do is we've decided to uh, move the business to Ireland. Mm -hmm. Um, So we've been in talks with a, a, a business solicitor today. Oh, brilliant! Um, you're, you're ahead of us then. <laughs> and I will re- no, I will recommend the, um, this guy to you. I'll send him an email and you, you an email. Um, oh, that'd be great! Yeah, um, because he actually came highly recommended by a client of ours, and we're undecided as to exactly what to do right now. Um, I think what will likely happen is that we will be setting up a, a business in Dublin. Um, we will run that business in Dublin. We're not just going to do it as a um, as a kind of non-resident. Mm. company because i think that it's important that we have a presence wherever we want to be and yes. that sounds that sounds that grand sounds like i'm hsbc or google or something but no no and it's been part of that business community as well isn't it exactly and i know people in dublin and i've been there before and it's a very nice place to be yes, so very nice place. i think what we're going to do is um we're going to set up a, a, a business which is a subsidiary of stuff and nonsense mm-hmm. and then what we will do is we'll actually um, set that business up in Ireland. Um, we'll operate that business from Ireland, which means being there a little bit more than, you know, but we're only, you know, we're literally like an hour and a half, two hour ferry ride away. Well, that's it. We're like an hour's flight from Dublin, you know, in Bristol, it's, it's the airport's up the road and hop over. So it's very, very easy to do. And we want to be a part of that anyway. But when it comes to doing some of the things that, um, where it, means dealing with the European Union. We have to be in Europe. So, for example, when we start selling our little books or our video courses or we start doing training or consulting um, to clients in the European Union, that will go through the through the Dublin office. And we'll yeah. keep we'll still keep you know we'll still keep working here. We'll still keep working for clients in Sterling and all this kind of stuff. Um and we'll end up having to administer two businesses. Mm-hmm. But I think that for us, we just have to have that feeling of security that we can stay inside the EU. And, you know, five years down the line, I don't know where that would be. You know, we don't know what's going to happen with Scotland. We don't know what's going to happen with England. Mm. But to me, anyway, it makes sense to be putting a foot outside the UK now. Yeah, I mean, that's that's pretty much, you know, what we're, we're thinking. But I, And then also, you know, potentially to... To, to just up sticks and move if things get to a point where we think actually we don't want to be here uh, but having having already done some of the work you know having already set up um in ireland um that makes that process easier well my name my real name is andrew doyle so i think i should hopefully fit in rather well yeah, so I was saying on Twitter because because it, it's it's actually the Irish. Turns out that you can apply for an Irish passport. They're quite liberal in terms of who they allow to apply for an Irish passport in terms of your family connections. Now, unfortunately, although I'm pretty much Irish because I, I've done my family history, I, that's kind of like one of my weird hobbies is is doing family history. And pretty much on all lines, it comes from Ireland. And and my mother particularly looks very Irish and people often ask her in the States where she lives, you know, if she's Irish because she, she's got that real Irish look. Um, but no, I'm too far back with the, everybody was in the UK for <laughs> yeah. in England um, for, for too long for me to be able to claim, uh, to, to claim a, a, an Irish passport. Unfortunately, I did phone my favorite auntie the other day and say, so your dad, <laughs> Francis Doyle, 
was he, was he from Ireland or was he from Lancashire? And I think he came from Lancashire. So yeah, uh, that's it. All, all of all of mine were all all. Uh, it was it was a way back, but yeah, it's it's uh, it's pretty much in my family history. All all trees lead eventually lead to Ireland. I think that it's something that I mean we didn't want this to happen. We didn't expect it to happen, and. You know, what I really wanted, particularly after the year that we've had, is a little bit of stability. You know, we've started to get some business coming in again, and we've got, you know, a nice client that we're working with right now. We're starting to get the house and the cottage and everything, you know, nicely nicely sorted out. You know, we're off on holiday next week. And I was actually just beginning to feel as if, okay, we might have turned a corner. And, you know, things might not be great, but they might be settled so I don't want to be doing this. No, no. I mean, we you know we we really like Bristol. We're here in Bristol. We like Bristol. Nice place. Bristol was very much in the Remain camp. It has to be said, which is which is uh, good to know. But um, but yeah, you know, we we like it here. And and but then in in other ways, we you know we we don't own a home. Um, my daughter's got a year left at college. Um, so that kind of, you know, uh, that's just very expensive because because I'm having to fund her. So um. You know that that sort of chunk of my life is is kind of almost done, and we're actually very flexible. As you know, and we run our business from home. And it's just the two of us here full time, so it we we could go anywhere, <laughs> and and you start it starts to get to a point. Where we think, well, maybe we'll just invoke that right, you know, and that ability um, to to be flexible. And potentially now is the time to do it. Well, because we don't know what's going to happen once the exit has actually occurred. Well, you know, particularly in terms of, you know, residency with most mm. European countries, I think. I'm not sure where it works in other places. But, you know, five years residency generally generally gives you a passport. Mm. Um, and I think that's the case in France. Mm. But, you know, that's the, that's the other thing. That's the, the uncertainty about people who are over here from the European Union that don't know what their future is. I think Nicola Sturgeon has said that, you know, if you're, if you're in Scotland, you're, you're Scottish. So that's fine. But I know that there's a lot of, you know, a lot of uncertainty about that. But also, oh, yeah. you know, we were thinking about, you know, God, I'm going to be, you know, we're 50 now. And you think to yourself, right, in five years time, because of the money that we've saved on our pension and the changes to the, you know, the government's uh, pension laws, Mm-hmm. In five years' time, we can take out, I don't know, I think it's a quarter of a million pound or something, you know, like 250 grand. We can like pull out of our pension and it doesn't have to be invested in one of those silly things. You know, you can do what you like with it. Mm. And we were thinking, you know what, you know, you could pay off the mortgage here. You could even sell the house here. Go and buy a little place in France and, you know, you've got no bills, you've got no outgoings. Alex is off on his way and, you know, we're not having to pay for him anymore. Um, mm. So we could have a very quiet peaceful life yeah in an in a great place and not have to worry too much mm. and yet that future is potentially not there anymore yeah well so you know and i mean for for us we're i mean we we don't have pensions i mean you know always as i you know i had i had beth i was very young and so i never really got sort of sorted and then then i ended up you know sort of really that's that's been the focus of my life has been making sure she's all right which is cool but i'm you know, getting to a point now, where I'm thinking, well, I'm probably going to have to work for the rest of my life. I, you know, I, I understand that. That is how it's going to be. In some form, I'm going to have to work unless like, I win the lottery or something. So fine. Um, I'm going to be paying into a system 
for the rest of my life. And I'd rather that was one that I kind of agreed with, you know? It's like, I'd rather be somewhere with it. I'd rather have a good quality of life, even if we're paying more taxes for that. Um, you know, I kind of would rather be in a system that I feel is okay and that is treating everybody around me fairly as well. That's kind of quite important to me. Um, and I don't think that is happening here. And I there's a whole bunch of issues, and, and this is one of them. And I think that the the root cause of people being so adamant they wanted to leave has nothing to do with the EU. Um, and it's to do with that kind of inequality. Um, and, you know, I'm just not even sure if, if the UK is where I want to be, just sort of as me. <laughs> no, I mean, you know, I've been wanting to up sticks for, you know, for, for a while. Um, and, you know, I'm quite fortunate because, you know, I'm not particularly uh, attached to the family that I have here. You know, I don't see them very often. Um, and quite often they're just on the end of a text message um, mm. or a phone call occasionally. So Yeah, I don't, I don't really have family here. So, um, so uh, but, uh, you know, but Sue does. Mm. So, you know, that's why we're here. But, you know, I, I, I would, I, I do look at the country sometimes and I do think, you know, is this where you want to be in, you know, 10 or 15 years? You know, do I want to see out my twilight years mm. in, in a place like this or do I want to be somewhere else? And I used to think that it was about the climate, you know, it was just about I want to be somewhere warm. <laughs> somewhere warm, yeah. <laughs> for me old bones. But but now I wonder whether or not I want to be in a country that could do this to itself and to yes. other people. Yeah. Yeah, and that's, yeah. I mean, and 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 then some of the things that have occurred since the referendum that it seems to have legitimised. Um, I mean, it's just horrendous. I mean, you know, some of the 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 sort of racist stuff. It's almost like this has given people a free pass to voice the way they felt. I, I, I don't I don't think that it's turned people racist, but I think what it's done is it's it's allowed that group of people to feel that they're legitimate in the, in the way they're feeling. There was a lovely little letter um, or excerpt from a Pooh Bear book that was doing the rounds on Twitter a couple of oh, days yes. ago. Oh, yes, yes, I saw that, yes. Which I'll put a link in the show notes, but I'm going to read it for the listeners in my Winnie the Pooh voice. <laughs> Nobody's heard my Winnie the Pooh voice. <laughs> How did you vote? Said Pooh. Leave, said Piglet. I voted Remain said Pooh. Are we still friends? said Piglet. Well, to be honest, I'm not really sure, said Pooh, uncharacteristically, thoughtfully. It's a complex issue and not really one that can be reduced to seven lines of text for the purpose of a rather twee meme. On the other hand, a belief in unity that we're stronger together and that when we work as a team we both benefit was one of the main reasons why I voted like I did. On the other hand, while I appreciate that, just as you chose your vote based on what you thought was for the best, you have precipitated a huge financial collapse, destabilised my country and threatened the future of my children. And it's hard for me to forget that, especially within a matter of hours. It's entirely possible that we're going to end up with a very much depleted 60-acre wood and that while you might have no issue with the other animals that live here, you sided with those that do. As of yesterday, Kangas had to go into hiding. Rabbits marching to Christopher Robin's house demanding her immediate repatriation. 
and Tiggers had donkey shit shoved through his letterbox. While you might not have wanted that, you legitimised it and decided that other animals' lives and security were collateral damage. It's true that you're still the small, massively overmarketed stuffed animal that you were before. But realistically, I've seen another side of you that I hadn't before, and it's going to take me some time to process that. So rather than pressing me for assurances that I'm in no position to make right now, I'd appreciate it if you'd give me some space to allow me to get my off my face on honey and grieve the future that I thought I had, which has been destroyed in favour of the one that you've dragged me into. I do not know who wrote that, but it is brilliant. Yeah. Yeah, it's yeah, it's and I I have it has to be said I have unfriended various people on Facebook over the last few days because yeah, I just, it was like I could argue with these people, but it's not going to help. No. And you know how you end, you know how you end up. I mean, I use Facebook for I don't use Facebook for business purposes. I use it for you know keeping up with people in my running club and things like that, and 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 family members and stuff. You know, um, so like you know. Most people I've got on Facebook are people I've got, you know, I don't know them that well. They're people who I might say, oh, does anyone fancy going out for a long run on Sunday? And some people will say yes. Yeah, it, but I don't really know them very well. Um, and, yeah, so I you kind of uh, – people were posting stuff and I'm thinking, I'm either just going to get really furious about this and it's not going to help or I'm just going to just walk away. <laughs> but, yeah, it's been interesting. But – all the language has been so inflammatory. I mean, even, you know, the kind of Remainers and Brexiteers and, and all this sort of stuff, it's pitching people against each other, very much so. Um, and that that doesn't help because the more entrenched people get, I think the worse it'll get. Well, I feel very sad. And, I, you know, I'm sitting here on this podcast talking to you and um, there were people that I thought, I know that you voted the other way. It would be great to get you on. And somebody even suggested, oh, if you're going to get Rachel on the show, then talking about the Brexit thing, then maybe you need somebody from the Leave campaign to be on here to kind of balance the view. And I loved your response in terms of, you know, well, A, we don't have to rant, but also this is not the BBC. <laughs> that way I was just being a bit cheeky as well. But <laughs> I do think as well that this is this is your podcast and therefore you don't have to have a balanced view. You can have whatever view you like, really. A bit like, you know, where we said at the beginning about Twitter accounts. Actually, you know, but you I don't have to have a balanced view. You, but you I try thought, and be balanced. But I thought twice about asking some people that I know have a, of a different opinion because I honestly and truthfully do not want to fall out with them mm. you know i enjoy their company and i um you know and i like hanging out and you know we share lots and lots and lots of common interests and yet somehow i am just incredulous mm. um absolutely I'm incredulous and it i you'd be surprised after this hour's talking but you know almost without words <laughs> Yeah, well, yes, I, I, I don't, and I, you know, I think I'm generally fairly good at seeing other viewpoints. Um, but I, yeah, I, the, the only re re reason I could sort of see for anyone voting to leave would be from a point of real understanding. And I don't, I don't know anyone who really knew what was going to occur. And it, it seems that the people who were in the best place to know what would occur didn't know what was going to occur. You know, our politicians didn't know what was going to occur. So I don't, you know, I, I don't see how anyone could really 
have, have sort of worked through the issues enough. No, I don't. And, and, and it's not as if, like in a general election, I mean, I've, it, it, and it's not sour grapes. Somebody accused me of sour grapes on Twitter. It's like, how, does, how are those sour grapes tasting, Andy? Um, it's not a question of sour grapes. Uh, no. You know, I've, I've lived through, I mean, I think I can't remember what my first, how old I was when I started voting. Um, but it was the early 80s. Mm. So I can remember voting for Neil Kinnock. <laughs> Um, right, and yeah. desperately wanting to oust Thatcher. I can mm. remember voting Labour and suffering crushing disappointment every morning after polling day <laughs> for virtually all of my adult life until Tony Blair. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we had a brief moment of euphoria before that all turned to shit. <laughs> so it's not a matter of sour grapes. But if you do, you know, if, if, if your party of choice does not get in at the general election, then you can vote again in five years. Yeah. But this, this is not something that we are likely to get another vote on unless things do change. We can't change our minds in, you know, even when we realize the dire consequences that that result has for this country, we cannot go back and change it. Mm. And that's not something that I think the, certainly the ignorant masses did not appreciate. They thought they were voting on X factor. Yeah. Um, I mean, yeah, I, yeah, I, I think that. Well, I mean, just from seeing, and you, you don't know how much the population it is, but yeah, seeing those comments like from the Daily Mail and so on, people are like, "Oh, I never thought that it would have this effect." So it, yeah, yeah, it's it's not a matter of sour grapes. To be honest, to be honest, it's the matter of deep, deep sadness. Yes, yeah, I think right. that's that that really yeah is how I feel about it. Is I'm just incredibly sad. I'm, you know, I'm I'm sad for well, you know. Just generally, I I feel like someone who is European rather than British. I, you know, I don't feel like I'm sort of part of this little thing. I feel, you know, I feel like, yeah, that 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 sort of feeling that I've sort of been constricted to. Well, no, you, this is this is where you're from. You need to stay there, sort of thing. Um, I'm sad for my daughter that at 19, you know, potentially she's not going to have the freedom of movement, and particularly, you know, she's trained to be a dancer so that kind of thing is is important and if she can't travel easily to europe if she's got to you know go through a whole load of hurdles to travel well she she might as well go to japan or wherever else and then she'll be miles away um and you know it's that that sort of stuff you just think you know it's just sad it is sad it's very sad and maybe we should leave it there yeah so this has been a sort of rather difficult, different, difficult and different <laughs> episode of the podcast. Um, you know, I'm not going to do like the thing that I like. I'm not kind of, you know, gunning for people clicking on book links or anything else on the show. Um, you know, let me know what you think on Twitter or drop me an email or something. Um, but, you know, if you agree with us, then I hope that we might have provided some kind of solace that there are people out there that are, you know, as angry perhaps or as frustrated or as sad as we are um, or as you are. Um, And if you've managed to sit through this and you vehemently disagree with us, then I hope we've made you think.